0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Welcome to Crimeland. My name's Julie J, and I'm a very quick favorite to ask Will to you really. First, if you could download this episode of Crimeland, I will be eternally grateful as this is what counts towards charts. And also if you have enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it if you could take the time to rate or review us on iTunes. Also, can I just say thank you to so much. Uh, thank you so much to the people who have reviewed this podcast so far. There's such gorgeous messages. I, I It just means so much. So thank you so much for that. A quick disclaimer as well that absolutely no offence is meant to any of the people discussed in this episode. This week, I'm talking to...
2: Gerst Stanton.
1: About the Kerry Babies.
2: Welcome to the crime
1: Jared, thanks so much for coming on.
2: Thanks for having me on, Judy.
1: So, I thought considering that I am with child, unmarried mother with child, I just thought, just for a bit of light relief, it might be good to look back at probably, I would say, the most traumatic case to ever hit Kerry, which is the Kerry babies. You, you'd probably be familiar with the term, sure.
2: Slightly. Like, I, I know it was in the news again recently, or when I say recently, like in the last 10 years or something, wasn't it?
1: Uh, yeah, well, I think it's it's kind of one because it's essentially still quite open. It's one that is kind of revisited quite a bit as well, isn't it? Yeah, they never,
2: it's one of those that never got to the end of, isn't it? they, they haven't figured out, like, who killed one of
1: the kids yeah it's just it's just one of those that like i guess it it just continues to it continues to fascinate it's essentially never been solved there's a lot of ambiguity a lot of unanswered questions and also i think the reason as well that this case um like it it has been in the news the last few years especially with with the whole repeal referendum. So just to explain to our international listener, we had a referendum, was it a couple of years ago, Jared, the repeal referendum?
2: Yeah, probably two years ago, I'd say.
1: Would it have been two years ago? I don't know, because
2: considering the last three months has been four years long, I don't really know how long it's been. Isn't
1: it insane? I just, my concept of time is just, like somebody said to me today that it was five years ago that we had the marriage equality referendum. I'm like, it could have been 10, it could have been a year ago. It could have I don't been last Thursday. It?
2: It's, it's all the same, it's been going that slow.
1: It's just a complete blur. But I think the time of repeal, which of course... Was a campaign in Ireland um, to essentially procure abortion rights for women. There was a lot of talk about this case because this case would have happened just after the time the Eighth Amendment, amendment which is was essentially um, this amendment that was written into the Constitution in the early eighties that the right of the unborn child was equal to the life of the mother. This case would have happened just after that, so. It just was a really political time, and definitely this case was essentially like a time capsule for Ireland in the early 80s, which, let's face it, Ger, I know we were both around, it wasn't the best place to be.
2: No, I don't think that good came of the 80s in Ireland, did it?
1: <laughs> well, me?
2: Yeah, I came, I came in the late 70s, so when were you born?
1: I was born in 83. Early uh, 80s baby. All oh
2: right, You're young enough. Yeah.
1: But I do think I always laughed at that reading in the years episode, the very end of the episode and a guy saying anyone with any bit of sense wouldn't have children. They just get out. They wouldn't start a family. They just get out of this country as quickly as possible. And I was like, that was my 1983 reading in the years.
2: Yeah, that was That was the advice to your parents at the time. don't have it. so
1: just just as we were hitting another economic recession they were like you know what this country needs right now is more people so that guard and that teacher got together and the rest is history so yeah we'll we'll just get straight into it when
2: was this baby case was it was it close to when you were born
1: this would have been, uh, it would have been about five months after I was born. It was Jesus in April Christ. 1984.
2: You were really so 14... your life. <laughs> <laughs>
1: especially, new. especially because let's face it, I was a Kerry baby. So this could have gone, I mean, this could have gone either way, Cher. Yeah, you're so running up the road. The, and don't get me started on the twin element. But anyway, okay. So. The fourteenth of April nineteen eighty four, a man jogging. Now I was straight away kind of like, Oh my god, I can't believe people were jogging in Kerry in the early eighties. But Short
2: anyway, is what I'm thinking there now.
1: I know. I mean, I just already I have questions. But no, look, the man was jogging. OK, we'll just take him at face value. He was jogging on a beach near cahars um, So it's known as the White Beach, um, which obviously took them a long time to come up with that one. But the White Beach near Cahars-Sivine and Gary, absolutely stunning beach. He came across what looked like a doll wrapped in a fertilizer bag. So you know where we're going with this, Gerr. A closer inspection to his horror, he realized it was actually a dead baby boy. So the post-mortem of baby C concluded that the poor baby had been less than two days old and that sadly, really, I mean, this is so tragic, he'd been strangled and stabbed. Now, this is just continues to shock me when you think of a small baby, like even however many years later. This little baby had been stabbed 28 times. So it was a frenzied attack. And then, of course, was disposed of in the sea. So, an extremely violent crime. At the time, Ireland was a very religious place. Don't know if you knew that, Chair. The Pope had just visited and preached against contraception and divorce. So, we were heading into another economic recession, and also, just in terms of gender relations. Up until we entered the EU in like the late 1970s, but up until then, women who were married couldn't even work. So it was a very kind of regressive place, I think we'd agree.
2: Yeah, and what with you.
1: So contraception was completely illegal until 1979. And of course, in 1984, it was still only available to married women. That's not to say you could even necessarily get it. A lot of doctors and a lot of pharmacists still refused to give it to married women abortion of course was completely illegal we were just as I said after inserting into the constitution a protection to the life of the unborn and unmarried mothers were still being sent to the Magdalene Laundries where they would give birth and work to atone for their sins sometimes staying for the rest of their lives and I think one thing people forget as well like the last Magdalene Laundry which was essentially a prison for unmarried mothers like that didn't close until the mid-90s
2: yeah, I heard about that. Like the, it was kind of the last of the old uh, nuns that were hanging out in there. It's just like, 90-year-old oh. nuns, wasn't it? That were still hanging out in there, trying to keep it, trying to keep it. Lit. Yeah,
1: so it's 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 a, it's a little bit, you know, it's still quite recent, unfortunately. But so the the baby had been found, and the guards started questioning people who had uh, been pregnant in the local area. Specifically, they uh, questioned. Uh, Uh, younger people so teenage girls people who were known to be having affairs people who also lived in a hippie local hippie commune and the traveling community basically anyone who was seen as existing on the peripheries or engaging in like a non-marital sexual relationship and in the second week, the guards from Dublin were sent down to investigate. And this group of men were known as the Murder Squad. I'm sure you've heard of them. So they were known as like a group who were very heavy handed with their interrogation techniques and could manage to get answers from uncooperative un- un- witnesses. So these were the guys that had watched a lot of movies.
2: OK, so they, these are the guys who like I, I hadn't heard of a murder squad. They're, they're like detectives, are they? <gasps>
1: Oh, they're super, I really recommend. They're super interesting. There's a lot of books, a lot of writing on them. So this murder squad, I mean, essentially they were like Garda heavies.
2: Okay, right, I get you.
1: Yeah, so they, they were they were super interesting as a, as a as a kind of, I suppose, echelon. They contacted CURA. So these guards contacted CURA, which of course is the Catholic Crisis Pregnancy Agency, asking had they, you know, any information on this baby. They said no. They contacted the Bonds Hospital and then they called St. Catherine's in Kerry where they were told, which was a hospital, and they were told that three unmarried women had recently attended the maternity ward. Two of the women were ruled out immediately but they proceeded to hone in on a lady called Joanne Hayes who was 23 at the time who they were told now bearing in mind like this is obviously your private medical information but the guards had been told that she had had a scan proving that her uterus had recently emptied but she did not appear to have a newborn baby so it appeared that she had given birth. But there was no sign of a baby. She had told doctors that she hadn't given birth, despite two scans confirming that she actually had. So Joanne had been in the hospital for six days. She then went home and her doctor, to be fair to the doctor, he was really team Joanne on this. He told guards, he was like, I really think you're on the wrong track here. I don't think she's the type of woman that would murder her child. So the team from Dublin, the murder squad, spoke to a local guard who confirmed Joanna's pregnancy and said he had been told that she had miscarried in the hospital. Though, of course, this was not what actually happened, according to the doctor and the hospital staff. So Joanne lived in a townland. Uh, surrounding Abbey Dorney which is like a small village in North Kerry a few miles outside Tralee she lived on a small family farm so it was about 36 acres there were two houses so there was the old farmhouse where most of the family would live and which was without heating or running water and then there was a newer house built by the council and that basically the council built built it because another branch of the family had had kids so the people living on the farm then there was Joanne and her mother mary and also her mother's sister bridie so joanne's auntie bridie and there was joanne and her siblings so her two sisters to two brothers and then joanne also had her daughter yvonne so there's a lot of people on the farm
2: right so she had a daughter already
1: Yes. And I'm going to I'm going to get to Yvonne uh, in a minute because Yvonne's very important, the daughter. So Joanne's brothers, Mike and Ned, worked the family farm. Her sister Kathleen had been made redundant that year and was the main homemaker. So Joanne worked as a receptionist in a sports and leisure club. But uh, so at this time. Um, She was the only one in like out of all the family members who was actually bringing home a paycheck. So she was very necessary to the family unit. Like they really relied on Joanne and she was naturally a very shy girl. She was really small. She was only four foot nine, very slight build. And she was very shy when she started working in the sports center. But as she worked there within the course of a few months, she became a lot more outgoing. She would go out for drinks and work. And that was where she met this guy called Jeremiah Locke. That's now, Jeremiah Locke, call, <laughs> Jeremiah, Jeremiah Locke is what we call... Jeremiah Locke is what we would call a bit of a... Not that I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make any assumptions here, but he was a bit of a batty in the story, really. Um, Jeremiah Locke kind of... Brought a lot of drama to the situation. So with, with a name German, like that,
2: you're you're not rocking in settling yeah, a with a name like that.
1: Yeah. Sherlock, you, you get the picture. So Sherlock had been married only six months before his relationship with Joanne had began. Nobody at work spoke of the affair, but of course everyone knew that what was going on between the two of them. They didn't make any secret of it. They would have blazing rows, they'd flirt openly with each other, like everyone knew about it. So fed up with the situation one day, Jarr's wife Mary and her and her mother-in-law, so Ger's mother and sister. Arrived one day at the Hayes farm warning Joanne's sister Kathleen and her mother Mary that Joanne needed to stay away from Cher. And Mary Locke was eight months pregnant at the time.
2: Mary Locke was oh right, okay, right, I get you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So Cher's missus was eight months pregnant and on their way to the Hayes' farm, which like when you can imagine, like if you were eight months pregnant, I mean, how shit is this? So Cher used to give uh she he used to give Joanne a lift to and from work. And they actually happened upon Ger's car. And of course, the two of them, Joanne and Jer, were in the car. So the, Joanne would have been dragged out of the car. They had a big kerfuffle. And neither of them actually went home to their houses that night, Ger and Joanne. So it was just big drama. And Mary Locke was eight months pregnant at the time. So Mary gave birth a few weeks after that. And then Joanne, it turned out, had been pregnant as well. So she actually had a miscarriage and obviously the dad, like the father of the child was there five days after Mary gave birth. So the two of them would have been pregnant at the same time.
2: Okay, right. Did did they know each other, the two? Like the the lover and the wife?
1: Yeah, well, they they would have because there was only about 200 families in Abbey Dorney. So, and do you know what? I think, to be honest... I mean, I would say even up to present that like as in when these things do go on, you know yourself, like in a small town, like everyone is kind of aware of it. But I think, like, Mary had been, like, Mary and her family had been aware of the affair, but they were just choosing to ignore it, which is what, of course, a lot of women would have done at the time. Okay, right. And then, obviously, this day in question, you know, like, she just blew up, which is totally fair enough. So the two of them had been pregnant at the same time, and when she had the miscarriage, Joanne promised uh, her sister Kathleen that she would give up her relationship with Cher, and, she, you know, she kind of said it to the colleagues and work, et cetera. But of course, the relationship continued. So Joanne was actually became pregnant again fairly quickly. So within a couple of months, she was pregnant again. And obviously, Mary had the young child and Joanne was fully convinced that Ger would leave his wife for her. Okay. So her family were not happy, but they knew that their power was limited, especially she was the only one bringing a, pay- a paycheck home. And also she was an adult, so she was like 23 as well. So there was very little they could do about it. Right. So her baby was born on the 19th of May, 1983, and Joanne called her Yvonne. So Yvonne was Jerry's baby as well.
2: Okay, I get you.
1: So it was a very kind of intense situation because obviously this affair was going on for a long, long time.
2: Do we know when the baby was born? Like if if he was around, if he was, you know, in the hospital, if it was known that it was his, was it just born when she was alone?
1: Well, it was, no, 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 she would have had, she had Yvonne in a hospital. So that, you know, that was all, when I say above board, like it was it was common knowledge that she was having this baby by chair. Obviously he was having, like it was a strange dynamic because he had nothing to do with the baby, but yet they were still in this relationship. They see it still gone on fine in work. He would still give her lifts to and from work. So it was one of those, like, I suppose, uniquely Irish situations that they didn't speak about the obvious but just kind of carried on. And actually, to to her family's credit, because, you know, this is the early 80s in Ireland, there was a lot of stigma about, you know, first of all, being an unmarried mother, and secondly, because everyone knew that this married man was the father. Her family were actually really, really supportive of her in the sense that they were really good to her and the child, and the neighbours as well. So that's one thing, because, you know, the way Kerry, I think, sometimes comes in for... like unwarranted criticism and like it's kind of portrayed as maybe a bit backward in the media. I think a lot of counties are, you know, it's just this kind of Dublin versus the rest of the country mentality. Do you think they were really
2: supportive like to her and to him, but then behind the backs they're like, oh, we have to burn them. Well,
1: they certainly wasn't weren't supportive of him. Like they had no time for him whatsoever. And they actually wrote to a couple of aunties who were nuns to ask Joanne, like to write to Joanne and say, look, would you please stop seeing this man? And one of the brothers, um, Ned, actually, would have gone to the local guard and asked the guard to speak to Joanne to get her to stop seeing her. So they really tried to break them up, but they were actually mad about the child. And like to the community's credit, the neighbours were really, really good to Joanne and the child as well. So she wasn't excommunicated, which I think is actually really... You know it's nice to hear that they they were good to her, and they were really good to Yvonne, so Yvonne was doted on
2: right right, so he was the bad guys he, he that nobody liked him
1: well, I mean you know he he was still kind of i guess a man about town, but I mean everyone was aware that this had happened, and they did seem to really support her on it, which was nice, you okay, know, right. so exactly right. that. So three months later, no, so three months after jo- Yvonne was born, do you want to take a guess what happened?
2: Three months after.
1: Joanne was?
2: Pregnant. Mm.
1: So Joanne was pregnant again and continued the relationship with Ger until the 23rd of December. So and there's something really tragic about this. So she had gone out for a few drinks after Christmas shopping in Tralee and she had learned that Mary, Ger's wife, was pregnant again.
2: So they're both like, so
1: at this, pregnant
2: buddies twice in a row.
1: Yeah. Like, I mean, essentially, Ger is not taking any precautions here whatsoever. And I mean, he's the one that's the married man. But
2: he does his rounds at the same time each, each year.
1: you'd wonder because exactly that, that like it almost seemed like these pregnancies were synchronized, which is just even more hurtful for the women involved. Like it's just horrendous. So Joanne found out from the colleagues. So the colleagues um, then spoke about it after and they said like, they were all very fond of Joanne. Nobody really discussed the situation with her, even though it was obvious to anyone what was going on. But one of the colleagues said, I actually told her about the wife being pregnant because... I just felt she needed to know that like this guy obviously was not leaving his wife. So Joanne was so upset that she left the pub and left her shopping behind her. So she was totally hysterical. And then she actually ended it with Jared that time. So when she heard that the wife was pregnant again, she said, that is it.
2: That sounds like the weirdest, the of like the relationship a, a really intense type of gaslighting where you get your lover pregnant and your wife pregnant at the same time so that you just confuse her altogether.
1: Like you'd wonder, I mean to me it kind of almost smacks as some kind of like egotism or like some you know, that kind of thing of oh, you know, getting them pregnant at the same time. You wonder
2: it's you a know, messing did, with her head. Maybe he was just trying to mess with their heads. Do you think that yeah. was deliberate? Do you think do you think the timing of the pregnancies was deliberate?
1: Well, I, I'd say I'd say not purely because I mean, having, you know, kids with another woman in the parish probably was less than ideal.
2: Yeah. So probably, so I'd say it. I'd
1: say not. I'd say not necessarily deliberate, deliberate. But to me, it's clear that Jerry was being reckless.
2: Yeah. At the but at the same time, each go. It's.
1: I mean, the timing, you'd say whatever about them being pregnant once at the same time. But the fact that then, you know, because he would have known Joanne was pregnant and then suddenly the wife gets pregnant. I mean, he's obviously not taking any precautions and certainly he's being reckless in a sexual sense. And also, I think emotionally, it's really fucking with two women.
2: That's it, it sounds and like a huge cast Yeah,
1: it sounds like a really... It does, yeah. Cat cat. It, sound, it actually does sound like he was almost fucking with them a bit, like mentally speaking. And, you know, maybe he did get a kick out of having two yeah, women. Or maybe he the thought, same you know, bit.
2: maybe he thought, well, one won't find out about the other if they're both busy bearing a child.
1: Maybe. Yeah, Keep them yeah, that it. could definitely be. So, she, but Joanne was Deva this time because I think she really did believe that he loved her and that he was going to leave the wife. And then when she heard this, she was in bits. So on the 13th of April, skipping ahead a few months, um, there, she actually, this was the night that she would give birth to a baby boy who she would call Shane. And this baby was born and died. So her baby was born a stillborn and died, and then twelve days later, which again feeds into what you were saying in terms of like them literally being pregnant at you know now she she would have been like she would have been a few months behind Mary so she would have been maybe a couple of months behind her so maybe about seven months pregnant when Shane was born. So uh, twelve days after Shane was born, and the poor child was born a stillborn, and obviously therefore like had not lived. Mary gave birth again to her second baby. So Joanne had not told her family that she was pregnant again. And though they suspected it, they did. They did the typical Irish thing of didn't ask her, didn't speak of it. Uh, She was even going to her local doctor about her little daughter, Yvonne. And the doctor claimed that he didn't notice she was pregnant on any of these appointments. And on the night of the 13th of April, so Joanne had left the house for a walk that night and returned bleeding, telling Kathleen she was just having a heavy period. When she continued to bleed, the doctor had been called and the next day she went into hospital. So April 20th, which obviously would have been a week after this, was Joanne's birthday and she returned to work. She met her, and there's something really sad about this because it's so almost clinical and corporate. So she met her in the leisure centre and she said look just you know I had a miscarriage and she congratulated him on the birth of his second child so
2: good to say that last but again that's that's weird
1: I know well it's it's just kind of tragic so
2: she had a so she had she told him that she had a miscarriage but congratulated him
1: Yeah, so she congratulated him on having the child because at this point they weren't together because she had broken up with them when she found out that the wife was pregnant again. Yeah. So she congratulated him. She had the graciousness to kind of congratulate him on his
2: wife's child, him and his wife's child. Yeah.
1: And it was just a to tell. I mean, talk about a completely messed up situation. And, and, and then she said, she said, "Don't worry
2: about our one. That's not happening anymore."
1: Anyway. I had a miscarriage. Yeah. So I, I think it was just as well. It was probably, you know, even though he was the father of this child, it just came down to women having to take care of everything. So she was like, "Look, just so you know, I had a miscarriage," and just informed him at work, and then he went about his day. And she went about her day. So just very, very sad. So the 1st of May then, so basically, so Joanne had given birth on the 13th of April. So just to bring it back, the 14th of April, this cahars baby had been found. So the baby that had been stabbed to death. So the 1st of May, the Hayes family and Joanne were taken in for questioning into the local guard station. So her colleagues had also been brought in with one confirming that she had known Joanne was pregnant but had not discussed it with her. Joanne told the guards she had had a stillborn and that she had buried the baby on the farm. So the guards went out to look for the baby on the farm and found nothing. After a few hours at the guard station, so this is when things just got very, very messy, so the family and Joanne are in the Garda station and they're saying, yes, you know, Joanne had a... still." Uh, uh, so Joanne's saying, I had a stillborn, it's on the farm. And after a few hours, the stories changed. So suddenly the family said that Joanne had had the baby in her bedroom and that she had stabbed him and her brothers had driven to Slayhead, which of course is in West Kerry, but it would have been over an hour away, that they had disposed of the baby's body that they had used refuse bags and that Bridie, who was Joanne's auntie, had helped her deliver the baby. So they went in saying, no, like, I mean, Joanne had a baby. It, it Well, Joanne said she had a stillborn. The family were saying, yeah, I mean, we thought she was pregnant, but we just never really asked. And within a few hours they were like, oh, no, like Joanne murdered this that baby. Yeah, that, like, that's straight totally away. Correct. They think
2: she murdered the baby straight away, like as soon as she had
1: it. Yeah. Within a few hours. So that night, Joanne was charged and sent to a mental facility where she stayed for two weeks. So the guards... That's then, not even after
2: being found guilty. That's just like we're accusing you and therefore you're gone into a mental hospital.
1: Yeah. So, you know, the way just to explain as well to our international listener, um, up until relatively recently, certainly the early 80s, the mental hospital or the threat of the mental hospital was something that was thrown out quite a bit. Wouldn't I be correct, sir?
2: Especially at yeah, women, like anyone, yeah. any woman who did anything on towards a man's reputation. Yeah,
1: and actually the trial, well, it wasn't a trial, but a judicial inquiry, inquiry, very much so, that it was like the women, you know, the women in the story are always categorised as kind of, you know, hysterical females, and And the men are always victims in it all.
2: Yeah, it was also if a woman, you know, said she was having an affair with a priest, then she'd be the one put into the mental hospital. It was just a way of kind of, it was a way of bypassing justice and... Uh, judging juries, just if you say they're crazy then then uh, I don't know, you, you can uh, ruin their reputation and get away with it scot-free Well,
1: do you know what, that's actually very true it was a way to bypass the judicial system wasn't it? And also yeah, it was about control
2: And it's literally a witch hunt I mean, that's probably where the whole you know, witch phenomenon uh, originated I, I say this yeah. now like, while you know when making stuff up on the spot while drinking whiskey, but maybe this is where the, <laughs> the, the witch phenomenon I came think, from.
1: I think you're spot on. I mean, it was. It's like it's a tale as old as time. Like the hysterical female, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Just throw her into a mental hospital for a couple of weeks.
2: Throw her into the water we'll and see if she floats. If if she floats, she's a witch. We kill her. And if she sinks, she wasn't a witch, and we're sorry she drowned.
1: Yeah, but but you know what? On a metaphorical level, that's exactly what's going on here too. You know what I mean? It's just throwing someone in to the deep end and seeing what's going to happen. Even though she was adamant at the beginning, that is not what happened. Within a few hours, confessions have been signed by all her family and she's suddenly in a mental hospital. So shortly after the confessions were signed, the baby she had given birth to was found on the Hayes' farm. So she had said this baby's on the farm. The guards like it's not on the farm, and then she was literally shipped off. And they were like, "Oops." Yes, it is and this is on the yes. Farm. So this is
2: not the baby on the beach. This is the baby she said she had on the farm. Well,
1: I think yeah. Like I think any rational human being would say, "Look, we've made a mistake. Get her out of the mental hospital." So sorry for your troubles. Um, you know, here's a packet of potatoes or something. Yeah. No, on, no, no.
2: But on the mental hospital thing, wasn't it a very it it was it was a pretty common go to as well for a son or a daughter that wasn't right, so to speak, in inverted commas. That the mental hospital was a valid like now in our time, if someone mentions mental hospital for somebody's son or daughter, they would do you know they would do everything in their powers to stop that from happening. But back in the day, that was a kind of a pretty viable
1: well, option for a lot of families. Yeah. Well, do you know what? It definitely served a social purpose at the time as well. Like, I mean, certainly not in this instance, but I mean, I think, you know, I think you're spot on that actually people's, uh, you know, maybe it's people's perception of like, you know, obviously we wouldn't use the term mental hospital now or, you know, maybe a mental health care institution or, you know, something of that nature. It has different connotations, whereas the time, it it like I I actually think as well at the time like it almost kind of served nearly a rehabilitation function as yeah. well for a lot a, of Irish families. But it was a
2: pretty fast go to, you know, you know if your oh, son and daughter there, are I listening mean, to the wrong type of music, almost it was a pretty fast go to.
1: Well, it did it did have it did have a positive function, but it also there was a danger because exactly that as you say a lot of fast-forwarding, suddenly you're in a mental hospital, and oftentimes it was just because you wouldn't necessarily conform. So it could be something to do with, like, what music you're listening to, what, you know, sex you're attracted to. Like, it was was a very nebulous foundation, like, in terms of, like, how they – build cases whereby they came to the conclusion oh yeah this person needs to be in a men- you know a mental facility yeah, yeah.
2: and you weren't like uh, we was, said like earlier you're, yeah and you're not going through a, a judge and a jury you're you're kind of fast tracking it
1: yeah, so it's, it, there weren't there weren't a lot of safeguards in place. So the, the, this poor young woman, Joanne, was in a hospital. The guards had found this baby. Instead of saying, look, we're wrong, they said, look, actually, sorry, there's only one explanation here, Chair. Joanne had given birth to twins.
2: Okay, so they're saying, uh, hang on, hang on, I'm going to take a sip of whiskey, Julie, one second.
1: So just imagine your. this is Abbey Morning a question, Garden because Station. Lot,
2: because it's a lot to take in. They're saying that this lady had two kids. One of them she killed and buried on her farm. And the other one she killed and buried at the beach
1: exactly that they said so one they said had been dumped on the farm and the other one had been stabbed and then the brothers had driven out to west kerry thrown the baby in the sea and it had somehow ended up on a south kerry beach
2: okay all right okay fair enough yeah so I, I, I was that was uh, their explanation
1: this is clearly a very logical conclusion to yeah if you, like
2: if you killed your twins you'd Obviously come up with two completely yeah. different ways so, of getting rid of their butt. I'd
1: love to have been there for the brainstorming session in the in this like rural garden station when they're like, how could this happen? And then someone's like, wait a minute,
2: twins. I'd so, say it was sun- probably like half five on a Friday where they all clock off at six.
1: Yeah, they were like, like oh, we have to come up with look. something.
2: Yeah, the whiteboard was empty. And someone's like, twins? Yeah, twins, points. Let's go for points."
1: Yeah, I think there, there there was definitely a level of expedience involved in, you know, reaching this conclusion. Now, don't let something like science get in the way. So science actually, believe it or not, sir, didn't really back this up at all. <laughs> uh, so, the-
2: <laughs> it, it wouldn't be like science to take a backseat in the 80s.
1: So, I mean, I just wish sometimes science would play along. So the blood type of the, you know, small detail, like blood types. Okay. So the blood type of the carosythine baby did not batch either that of, jo- of Joanne or Ger. But again, the guards had an explanation, Cher. What, what was Joanne the
2: explanation
1: to that? Been, now, are you ready for your Jenny Jones moment? Like this is pure like Jerry Springer stuff. Okay, Joanne had been impregnated by two men
2: at the same time.
1: Well, within, so what, there's a very, very, extremely, extremely rare instance whereby if a woman has slept with two different men within, say, 24 hours to 48 hours, she could have twins by different fathers. But I mean, extremely rare. And, but again, the guard said, look, if her morals are that loose, Sure, this could have happened. Like, oh, she I could didn't know that was a thing. Is that a,
2: is that a real thing? Are there it, twins it is, that have been fathered by different men?
1: It is it is, a, it is, a real thing, but like extremely rare is understatement of the century. How extreme like, I mean, like
2: would, would, I, would I have met? I'll,
1: tell you what, I'll, I'll look up because there's an actual name for it. So I'll look it up here and I'll come back to you. Because I know two twins
2: it. where one's ginger and one's got black hair.
1: Well, Should I mean, I, sorry. I okay, about... did, I me, did I give you permission to use the G word? But okay, as a ginger, I take offense. Okay, so odds of twins with different fathers, chances of having twins with different fathers. Okay. um Right. And okay, I'm just going to take the time 36 minutes. uh I'm having a Google. Okay, so, oh, okay, I've got it in Wikipedia. Yes. So it's called, this phenomenon is called super fecundation, super fecundation, doesn't sound right. (laughs) Super fecundation, which also doesn't sound right. Um, So I want to see the odds. Conception, cases, selected. What would the word be? Not the odds. What would the Um, word be?
2: Regularity or something like that.
1: I want. I just want to find the statistic now. So in, have incidents oh, of the Daily Mail. Surely they have an article. Surely they'll have the odds.
2: Surely they won't get uh, back on science.
1: Um. Okay. So a couple in China. The wife at a one night stand, and. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna find this term before I move on because it must be here.
2: That's all right. How it's
1: How is possible? You don't seem to have the odds.
2: Um, it's not. Uh, it's not odds. It's not regularity, is it? It's not That's incidents. Word.
1: I'm looking for instances. I'll just write. Okay. So the chances, maybe the chances of super combination. Okay. Oh, what are the odds? Okay. Well, okay, maybe not as crazy as you think. So one set of twins, two fathers, how common is it? They say one in 13,000. I just want to have a quick look here. One at... in
2: 13,000 is pretty common, isn't it?
1: It's pretty, I think that sounds too but it, common. But is that
2: one in 13,000 of women? Or is that one in 13,000 of women who sleep with two men in the one night? <laughs> Yeah, I
1: mean, I know what you mean. Like, there's kind of a demarcation there, isn't there? Because
2: it can't be um, one in thirteen thousand if, if only you like two thousand of the women sleep with some with two different people in twenty four hours.
1: I think the thirteen thousand sounds just too high, doesn't it's, it?
2: Because I'd say, you know, there's one in thirteen thousand of people sleeping with two people in the one day. I, that that doesn't happen to me very often.
1: Uh yeah no it it doesn't at all they what they're saying here um in terms of paternity suits that it happens with two point four percent of cases that the twins have when they're dealing with uh when they're dealing with twins that that two point four percent of cases oh hang on, this is better. this makes a lot more sense now okay, this is what I'm gonna include so it's estimated that this occurs in only zero point two five percent of twin births.
2: Okay, right. So
1: that point, makes a lot more sense. So 0.25 it? So
2: of all twins in the world.
1: Of like so, like a quarter of one percent.
2: Okay, right. Yeah, that's not many.
1: I mean, that. I mean, that's practically. Ne- I mean, it's negligible. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. I guess it's still possible. But I wonder that it, these lads have these stats you know when they met when they had their half. I would like, say
1: like Friday. I mean, bearing in mind it's zero point two five percent of like American twins. I mean I would say zero percent of Abby Dorney twins. So
2: does that mean like, so let what one, one like one percent is one in a hundred. So zero point two five is is like a quarter in a hundred. So so in
1: other words like one in four
2: hundred. Be... Is, that, is that one in four hundred sets of twins would be this?
1: One in four hundred. Is that that's what they're saying?
2: Well that's not that small, is it? That's possible because there's a lot of twins in the world.
1: Okay, whose side are you on here? Wait, like are you on the guard side or are you on Just...
2: Just trying to get the maths done. Like I'm, I'm, I'm on the side of maths and fractions at the moment.
1: Well, look, it was a load of shit. Anyway, is basically all, all we have to know. I think that's that's the. I mean, now yeah, but it's got, got me thinking. Forward. I want
2: to, It's got me thinking that there should be a, a Netflix documentary about these twins, these type of well, twins.
1: I think. Uh, I mean, it has sparked your interest. I think a little too much. So, if I probably honest. think that
2: I've you know taken the wrong end of the stick.
1: I see what you're plotting. Well, I just I'm just imagining you in that Garda squad room saying, I mean, one in 400, that could happen. Um, but yeah, so look, this was their theory. They, and I actually wonder, I don't know where they got this theory from, even. But look,
2: they definitely didn't the, do the same Googling and research that you did too. They were it, definitely not minutes, not in 1980 fucking four or whatever it was.
1: No, definitely not. So uh, but Obviously, they had this theory about the two different dads, twins. But bar the confessions, there was no evidence to back up this twin theory. So, for example, there had been no blood in Joanne's bed. Obviously, the blood of the carosypene baby didn't match. Like, there was nothing. And also, in terms of tides, like they had been told by numerous people, there's no way if you threw something in at Head, which is like the most beautiful place on earth, by the way, that it would have turned up on this beach. They were like, it's just impossible. Like that couldn't have happened. So the pathologist couldn't say that the ch- child who had been found on Hayes's farm had achieved what they called in legal terms, separate existence. That is that he had breathed on his own, but his lungs hadn't expanded, which would suggest that what Joanne had initially said was true and that this poor child had been a stillborn. So the guards sent the file to the Director of Public Prosecutions, but the DPP, Shakar refused to pursue it. And finally, they said no, like this case is like what? Are you, like twins? Like what are you talking about? So the DMPP were like, absolutely not. And on the tenth of October, the charges against Joanne had been dropped. Two days after the charges had been dropped, journalists published an article questioning techniques used in questioning the Hayes family. So it should be noted that this was a time when journalists were really kind of examining the guards and their methodologies, because a guy had only just died when he was being held in a Cavangarda station. So people were really questioning, like, the techniques that were being used here. So the Hayes family now said that they had been coerced and that the confessions were forced. So they obviously had to wait until they heard that Joanne wasn't being charged and then came out and said, like, none of what we were made to sign and made to say was true. So this promoted an internal investigation and the Hayes family sent statements through their solicitors detailing what had happened. So Joanne's brother Ned had been made to kneel and say an act of contrition and had bizarrely been grabbed, this is what Ned said, that he'd been grabbed in his groin by one of the detectives. Who who,
2: who said that Who had been grabbed by his groin?
1: So, Joanne's brother Ned was well, like, Yeah, this oh, guy like, he like, grabbed he done him wrong.
2: He's done nothing wrong. Well,
1: he's done nothing wrong, but they wanted the family to say that Joanne, basically, they wanted to pin the Car Slavine baby on Joanne. Yeah, but so they, trying,
2: Like, that doesn't happen these days, does it? Where they just go to someone's brother, grabs him by the balls, and goes, Right, you tell us what happened.
1: Well, I guess this is 1984, though. So it's the idea that they want, yeah, and they wanted the family to turn on Joanne. That's kind of what they were going for. So then Mike, Mike, her brother, or her other brother, who had, like poor Mike, had learning difficulties. They had placed him in a headlock and they told him that he'd never be able to work the farm again, which was devastating to him unless they... unless he basically said what they wanted him to say. Kathleen said that she had been, who was, of course, Joanne's sister, had been slapped around the back of the head and that they had threatened her saying that they would send her to a...
2: Mental institution.
1: Mental hospital, of course, yeah. And Joanne's mother, Mary, had also said, oh, I just went in and they basically told me what to say. Joanne said she had asked every half an hour to be taken to the farm to show them where the baby was, but they refused to bring her for fear she would quote become unstable. So this kind of feeds back into the thing of the hysteria and the idea that, like, a woman who had relatively recently given birth was particularly, you know, obviously like emotionally unstable, and you know, anything could happen. Like, there is like no there is no what, way we're was bringing out are
2: all, all, all the police. Male.
1: Oh, all the police were male. Yeah, so all the police were male. So it was also uh like they well actually I'll get to this bit in a minute, but they they had said that they had threatened to put Yvonne in an orphanage and when she felt sick they put a newspaper on the floor and said she could use that. And most disturbingly so when the lap so basically when the statement was being written out, a guard had sat her on his lap. While they were writing out the statement for her to sign.
2: What what age was she? Twenty-three.
1: So it was that thing of it's like, you know, and he claimed because then people were like, What the hell was that about? Like, was that like sexual? Like, why did you insist that she sit on your lap? And he was like, No, 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 I was just being fatherly to her is what is what he said. But I mean it's completely gross.
2: Yeah. That's, yeah.
1: and and they were also saying to her look don't worry about this now you know it's infanticide like you probably get a suspended sentence it's not a big deal so you know even from watching these things on Netflix with the confessions and the coercion like being promised look if you just say this is what happened it's not going to be a big deal. So they kind of employed all those, you know, very typical tactics. So all the members of the family insisted that they had felt that they were under arrest and that they couldn't leave the guard station. At the inquiry, shock horror, the guards refused to cooperate, most of them anyway, and so the case just came to a close such was the huge national interest in this case that believe it or not the minister for justice insisted that they set up a judicial inquiry and it was decided that it would take place in January 1985 now bearing in mind this is like an unmarried mother like very catholic Ireland uh you know a 23 year old down in Abbey Dorney like the fact that the minister of justice was like no, like this is bigger than this one case. Like we we need to look at this. So this inquiry started in January 1985. So Joanne's friends have been called to the courthouse in Tralee and they obviously had to give evidence. They told the court that they knew that Joanne had been pregnant, uh, but they hadn't discussed it with her because hello, Ireland, early 1980s. Um, but they had been told by her after the fact that she had miscarried at the hospital. The women were all asked if they had known a man called Tom Flynn. So the guards presumed this was Joanne's other lover, as his name had been written on Joanne's bedpost. It turned out he had owned a furniture business Um, and had emigrated. (laughs) (laughs) I know. So he owned a furniture business and it was like, everyone knows Tom Flynn. And he had emigrated when Joanne was 10 years old.
2: But surely the bedpost wouldn't have had like a penknife script in it. Surely it would have been a sticker.
1: Well, it was just written, it was just written in pen. It wasn't like he had scratched his name into the thing. That's but what it was I mean. It would have been
2: fairly text. innocently written, obviously.
1: Yeah, I mean, just like ridiculous. Just because it was but on anyway, a red
2: post doesn't mean... It, all
1: right, go on. Ridic. So th- then, of course, Baddie himself, Sherlock, gave evidence. So he had said, how gracious of him, that he had loved Joanne in a way, but he was married. Like, ugh, but anyway... So the guard's barrister took him through all the locations he had had sex with Joanne. They brought in this big ordnance survey map and he basically was like, okay, talking through all the places he had sex with her. And when this was objected to, the barrister explained, well, I need to determine her sexual history because the guards think she was impregnated by two men in 24 hours and that she had twins. So like, it's really important that we actually focus on how often these two people had sex, and where they had sex. So that's the only reason Cher was like. That's the only thing really Cher was questioned about. And then, infuriatingly, he actually made a point of saying that he thought the guards, uh, you know, had been totally fair to him, and he would no real complaints about the guards. Just that they spoke a little bit hard to them, but it hurt him. But he hadn't been maltreated, which he probably hadn't been because he was a man.
2: Yeah. Well, was he like, did he know them? Would he been mates with them? Would they have had um, respect for him?
1: I mean, I mean, of course. Well, absolutely. That's a really good point, because as I said, this is a village of less than 200 families. They definitely would have known each other. Um. So he was like, yeah, look, you know, love turn away. But like, don't know if you knew this, but I'm actually married. And that was it. So then, the Faze, Hayes family had been called. They insisted that they had never discussed Joanne being pregnant or what happened, and they did that night. And they didn't talk about it. So Kathleen, her sister, had said that jo- poor Joanne had been in bed all day. Uh, saying she had uh, the day she gave birth to Shane on the 13th of April that she had been in bed with what she said was stomach pains and when everyone was going to bed at about nine o'clock Joanne had come into the kitchen and said she was just getting some fresh air Kathleen had gone to the door and called Joanne and Joanne replied that she would be back in a minute so when Joanne came in then she headed straight for the bathroom and Kathleen spotted like a trail of blood in the hallway And Joanne then was looking for sanitary pads and said, oh, I just have a really heavy period. So Kathleen, obviously, she knew herself what had happened, but she just didn't, like, say the words to Joanne. So at 5 a.m., Joanne had gone out and she went out to the baby, who she had said had been lying on some hay and moved him. Like, obviously, the baby had been a stillborn. So she moved his little body to a spot near the stream. And that morning, her, Kathleen had gone into her mother, Mary, and told her. So even though she hadn't actually said this to Joanne, she told her that she believed that Joanne had miscarried the night before. So they all kind of knew she was pregnant. They didn't discuss it with each other. This is what they said. But they just kind of, it was unspoken that everyone was kind of aware of it. And then she brought Joanne a cup of tea and said that she watched her then later on in the day going out into the fields with tongs. Oh well, and then yeah and then Kat, I mean bearing in mind like Joanne did all this on her own and then Kathleen had said that she had followed her but she saw a couple of pools of blood in the yard and got freaked out and went back to the house so she continued to bleed and hemorrhage for the rest of the day Joanne and eventually they convinced her to go to the doctor and then the doctor convinced her to go to St Catherine's Hospital so three weeks later Uh, this is during the judicial inquiry now that all this came out so three weeks later joanne herself took the stand and was asked about her sexual history and her partners and described giving birth in the field on her own delivering the baby standing up and catching him with her hands what the baby looked like how she felt when she found out that mary was pregnant as well And she found out the evidence very difficult, of course, and was crying constantly and actually vomited at one point in the bathroom. And eventually she was actually sedated because she was so, she was just finding the whole thing so upsetting. So she was sedated. But the judge, who was like, by the way, such a prick, he decided that she should continue giving evidence even though she was heavily sedated. So she was actually slurry, her eyes, like she was slurring her words, her eyes were closed and she had to prop her head up against the mic to keep herself actually upright.
2: Right, this is, this is a real thing that happened. She was like, there was people in the courtroom watching a a, a, a drugged up woman. I mean,
1: imagine imagine how distressing, like, that would be to actually witness, like, the poor woman. But can you imagine if that
2: was, like, you know, a videoed courtroom uh, case and and someone is propped up on a mic? Like, that wouldn't last two seconds before the news are all over it with screenshots.
1: I mean, and, and, like, the judge, the fact that the judge insisted on this, I think, says so much about his character and also his opinion, of Joanne herself as a human being. Like, it says so much. So people, to be fair, were absolutely outraged, especially women. So what was, I suppose, suppose taking a negative into a positive... As a show of solidarity, women began delivering flowers to the courthouse in a bid to show support to Joanne. So this local woman went up. She was the first woman. She'd left a yellow flower at the courthouse for Joanne. And then basically there was just this, it was, it was just a flood of women sending cards letters. Some letters spoke of similar experiences and even, believe it or not, some nuns supported Joanne. So one nun arrived with a card that had been signed by the whole convent. So the protests began. So then obviously this is all happening in Trevi Courthouse. They then obviously kind of, you know, I progressed to actual protests. So, two local men, so again, I think massive credit to the local community in Abbey Two local men, Jer- Jerome Donovan and John Barrett, arranged for locals to show support of Joanne as they were angry at the treatment of her at this judicial inquiry. The next day, women's groups from as far as Dublin came to support Joanne and show disgust for the way she was treated. So when they came out, um, you know, they had flowers and cards for her. When the judge came out, the judge was booed and the protest continued to the garden station. So when the tribunal resumed the following week, the judge described the protesters as, quote, raucous, ignorant urban dwellers and threatened contempt of court for any other demonstrators. Now, I suppose the final thing in relation to this inquiry, Bridie, who was the auntie, had suffered two strokes. Now, she'd, Bridie kind of, I suppose, hadn't been well anyway previous to this. Used to this, uh, but she had been deemed brain damaged and probably paralysed after the couple of strokes. So on the sixth of February, she was deemed well enough to speak to the tribunal, and uh, the judge insisted that they go to her hospital, where they she appeared to agree with the council's leading questions, i.e., that Joanne had given birth to twins and that she herself had cut the children's umbilical cord. So even though this woman had been deemed to have brain damage, was after two strokes, the judge was like, no, 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 she's fine to give evidence. Even though she she couldn't
2: go to the court. It was like, no, we'll go to her
1: best. Yeah, he was like, not an issue, we'll speak to her. So finally, an answer came, so in relation to the twin theory, came with an expert arriving in May from Britain to confirm that this notion of twins had to be ruled out as an impossibility based on the evidence before him. So on the 4th of October of that year, the findings were released where it was stated that Joanne had not been the mother of the carosaline baby. So the report itself was a bit of a mixed bag in terms of like women's rights. And, you know, I mean, I suppose kind of an amnesty for Joanne because they said, no, okay, she wasn't the mother of the carosaline baby, so she didn't stab a baby but they, it, the report also stated that she and her family were effectively liars and time wasters, and that the guards had done no wrong bar that they perhaps shouldn't have left the case have let the case go when the baby had been found on the farm but other than that, like they were guilty of no wrongdoing whatsoever and really weirdly, though the report did not say Joanne had killed her baby. It was suggested or implied in the report that she had choked the baby and hit it with a brush.
2: So was that that her baby in the farm, not the... Her baby Shane, yeah.
1: Yeah. Baby Shane on the farm. So even though, like, the pathologist had said, look, I don't think this child breathed on his own. Like, I do think it appears that this baby was a stillborn. The report still managed... Like, it didn't outrightly say this woman killed her baby, But, like, it left just enough inference there to cast doubt on, like, Joanne. Now, luckily, the local community were totally team Joanne on this. But I just think it's just, it's such a cause of shame for the Irish judicial system that they almost had to get that little dig in. So they were like, yeah,
2: yeah, maybe it was stillborn. Or or maybe you killed it with a brush and choking it. But it might have been stillborn, but you might have killed it with a brush and choking
1: it. Yeah. So I think in terms of judicial... Like certainly judicial misogyny, like it was just kind of the final dig, really. And complete, I mean, you know, I suppose, I suppose the, the real tragedy as well here is that the Caribbean baby has never been identified. Nobody has been found guilty of the baby's murder. And it remains a complete mystery as to who the mother of this child was and as to who killed this baby. And that is the story of the Kerry Babies case.
2: But is, has there been any um, uh, uh, has there been any inquest into the real Kerry like separate case?
1: Um, in 2018, they did take DNA samples yeah, on Valencia Island in Kerry. They did take DNA samples. Uh, in nineteen, in twenty eighteen, in relation to the baby who they had named John, who was uh, the Karis baby, baby, um, but the results of that were inconclusive.
2: Okay, so that was like two years ago.
1: That was only a couple of years ago, but they, they, they—I mean—they got nothing out of it, and they did say, actually, I'll just, do you know, what I'll just read this out because um, this was only two years ago, so it might be just as a little update. Uh, So so the superintendent, Fleur Murphy, who was leading the investigation in 2018, said that significant work had been undertaken by the serious crime review team, which is like the equivalent of the cold case team.
2: Okay, right. The
1: crime review team, so they they obviously were going back over this case. And he said that over 9,000 hours, investigative hours, have been spent on the crime review and 225 separate lines of inquiry are currently being followed. Selective DNA sampling is going on and remains a key focus of the investigation. They renewed uh, appeal for information from the public and set the guard. The guards said they still believe, obviously, says you, that members of the community in South Kerry have information about the identity of the mother of Baby John, and he said someone is Baby John's mother, someone is Baby John's father, someone knew his mother or father.
2: Well, th- but that's the thing, like uh, you know, they're saying that they've information, or the somebody has information about the mother, but regardless of whether it's a a mother and their offspring. Case somebody stabbed a kid twenty eight times. That's the
1: it's uh, it's it's frenzied
2: the first fingers don't point towards a mother who didn't want her child. you know there's a frenzied attack there that, uh, uh, yeah
1: maybe, I mean it, you would think may like other people involved maybe a family,
2: but I guess like they don't have many leads to go on, do they?
1: well, they have nothing, and look we all know as well you know certainly when you know so much time has passed and in a rural community where secrets are kept and you know families were living under the cloud of social stigma etc and you know in terms of like sexual violence and all the rest things not going reported like who knows what happened. Yeah, I, I think well,
2: people will die with those secrets
1: and in, in that Oh account. I don't think I don't think it's I mean you would hope at this point that someone might come forward and say what happened, but it's prob I mean it's increasingly unlikely. And you know they did I mean the guards to be fair, I uh, you know, they did go around, they tried to ascertain someone who what had been pregnant and didn't appear to have a baby. But I guess they were probably met with a lot of closed lips as well, and a lot of silence, and people just not wanting to talk to them. And you know, if you were playing devil's advocate, which I certainly don't want to play in this case, maybe that's why they kind of you know went into the realm of fantasy because they just had nothing to go on yeah. and nobody was talking.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's like the it's like the Wicker Man. Once you when you when you get to that place, you realize that there's there's a you're you're battling against. Uh, a mentality, a community mentality, more than the area, yeah. the, the evidence.
1: And it's, it's like it's, it, it's still, you know, it's still completely flummoxes me to think that, you know, this happened in, you know, an area that you've been to, and that's that close you know. to you. Yeah,
2: yeah, you're near there.
1: Well, you know, even say people you know from that area, and I worked yeah. there. I lived in Carislevine for a year, and you do often think, oh, like, was it somebody? you know, that maybe they knew, was it a neighbour? Was it someone their granny knew, their mom knew, their dad knew? Like, it, it's such a small community yeah, as and, well.
2: And if it wasn't such a, a serious and tragic subject, you you could imagine it being an amazing documentary that somebody goes down there, like, with, you know, radio equipment or TV equipment and says, right, we're going to interview the local barman and we're going to, the, the restaurants, we're going to interview the people on the street. And you would find an amazing documentary based on something that's yeah less serious. Would. Yeah, but but with this it's it's so tight lipped that you won't. You'll never you'll never I have think, to die with people. Yeah.
1: And I think I think because, I think you're right that like if it was any way lighter in terms of the subject matter, you could go down and as you say, like meet the local characters, almost do like a bit of a vox pop to work out what people's theories are in relation to it. But I think the level of violence I mean, it's it's still it's kind of hard to get your mind around it now, even though we have been saturated with violence in the last couple of decades. The level of violence, the sheer tragedy involved, and yeah, and also
2: and also, of- also twenty eight. You know, you can't you can't count to twenty eight yeah, wh- while imagining this this the size of a small a little a, have baby, have a little baby. You can't count. You you can't pick. Uh, you know, twenty eight seconds like that that's an amazing and
1: the, and the fact that the baby had been choked so yeah. i mean you know even the stabbing itself was just it was superfluous violence as well yeah, yeah, and there's an
2: insanity involved it's either an insanity or or something deeply evil
1: and i think just you know as a human being as well your heart goes out to whoever did give birth to that child whatever happened it was a very dark situation and it just it's it, it's something that it 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 continues to i would imagine haunt community but also i think anyone just you know i suppose and in re, in recent times you'd like to think generally there's some clue or something that can reignite an investigation but still with this there's nothing yeah, and, and that, that makes it a particularly awful but fascinating case
2: but you know what? I also I also think that the fact that there are no family, um, uh, no family that you can see, obviously coming out asking for justice, that's one of the things that maybe makes the police go, well, let's not bother with it. Because in other cases, sometimes you've got people demanding justice, and demanding yeah, very true. It. But yeah. this baby doesn't have a voice and there's nobody saying we demand justice for John.
1: And there's no, and there's no advocate for the baby. That's very true. Yeah. And I, I guess that, that that maybe that impetus wasn't necessarily there either at the time in terms of solving it.
2: Yeah. Um, it because well, and as once,
1: we say you
2: No, know, once it goes quiet, then you know who 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 digs it back up? There's there's nobody like you, you you're you not going to find um brothers sisters cousins and something
1: no and so- i think certainly whatever circumstances this poor poor baby baby john came into the world as i said it was a dark situation like god knows what was going on so i think when you're dealing with that kind of culture of silence it can hide a myriad of really awful things and I would be very surprised if at this stage somebody wanted to reopen that can of worms because God only knows what else is in that can Um so it's it's just it's it's a really sad case but I do think It is super interesting in that it really kind of casts a light on, in terms of a social document, I think it's very interesting because it really casts a light on Ireland in the 80s. There are also a lot of surprises, I think, in there as well, like the local community, like two men were the ones, like they were the ones who started this protest for Joanne. So it went across gender lines. You know, I think it was it was a moment of rebellion where people were saying, no, like, we're not going to be treated like this by, you know, essentially a religious state, a religious court. This is outrageous. And I think it was a powerful moment from that point of view. Yeah,
2: definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So, chair, And also we find out that people jogged in the eddies.
1: I know. I mean, to be honest, that bit, I'm like, really? but And he was a farmer as well. He was a cattle farmer. Farmers don't jog. So many. Maybe he was a footballer or something on every, the side. That's every, my only explanation.
2: Every murder inquiry starts with a jogger. Well,
1: they, it's either the jogger finds the body or the jogger is the body. So yeah. the moral of the story is don't jog.
2: Don't jog. Don't, don't let up. <laughs>
1: On that note, Jared, tell me, you have a very funny podcast with one of my favourite people.
2: Martin Angolo.
1: And the podcast is called?
2: Canary in a Comedy Goldmine. And I think what... It doesn't do any of this inquiry type stuff and it it doesn't have as many uh, serious heartfelt moments as we've just shared
1: but you guys have visuals.
2: We do. We have visuals. We have sound effects. Which are great. Our, our last two podcasts have been um, like web stuff, like TV stuff. So you can watch well, like, on your television.
1: They're channel. fantastic.
2: No, they're just silly, really. They're just stupid. No, honest, I
1: think they're, they're great. Stupid. I think they're visual. I think they are like, you know, you're thinking outside the box. They're a little bit different. They're a lot of fun. In cheek satirical. Admittedly, you do slag myself and my partner quite a bit. A
2: little bit. But yeah. that's
1: okay. A little bit, yeah.
2: Just to
1: deserve it. Slagging is a compliment, so we'll take that on board. So that is Canary in a Comedy Goldbine.
2: Yeah, thanks.
1: And if we wanted to find you online other than the usual spots, I mean, you're on Instagram and all that, would you be more on Instagram <laughs> or Twitter, man?
2: We were more well, no, we do it. We we just throw it across everything. Whenever something is released, we throw it across everything, and even the website canaryincomeandgovernment dot com. Or okay. if I if I am making stuff, uh, I I kind of put all my silly shit on Instagram, and then the you know, more important stuff on my website. But with Canary, it's canarystanton dot com. Yeah, exactly. But with Canary, just just type it in. It'll be on something. It'll be on something.
1: It'll be on something. So, chair, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure.
2: Thanks for having me, Julie. It's been thank a you so pleasure. much.
1: We'll have to have you back. It'll be lovely. Goodbye from Kerry. Mwah.
2: Thanks. Bye.
0: This podcast is part of the HeadStuff Podcast Network. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?